Hello, hello, I'm Chris. I am Preston. And we're back for the fifth episode of Just Two Dudes Readin' Theory. This week we are doing Indescribable, an essay by Caro Narby, found in a fantastic compendium called It Came From the Closet, Queer Reflections on Horror. And it was fun. How'd oh, you like it, was, it? It was so good. I, I really enjoyed this one. I mean, like right off the bat, I really liked that it is it is framed in a way that kind of sucks you in really quickly. Oh, Much yeah. like the blob or the people of society may quickly suck one in. I, just, I don't know. The, the story of like the personal health was just like instantly pulls you in. And it ties so well to the narrative of the rest of the essay. It's yeah. it is so well done. Like the whole thing, it's uh, seven pages that go by so fast. It's more in mine. You have these sort of online landscape pages. Mine's like twenty pages. Is fifteen? Yeah. Wow. But anyway, yes, I loved it. I so first of all, for most of these, we have kind of bypassed a summary. But for this one, I also feel like we're acting as salesmen <laughs> to go and read this oh. wonderful whole collection. But basic point of this essay is Caro Narby identifies as agender and, first of all, problematizes gender in their own view of it. But they do it not in the land of puppies and roses, oh, right? So they, do it, they do it in a land of, like, it's not great to have a body all the time oh. is it you know it's not so yeah. great it's not all and great to have a body yet, having a uh, awareness of said body can be a horrific experience you know watching clips of society with you i felt i, I just wonder and you know the love the lovely thing about reading people who are living is that we can always ask people but I wonder, the gaze, the look of the people in the movie Society is itself sort of like the look of forcing you to have a gender. Oh. Right? It kind of forces. <laughs> I wonder if Narby, in being looked at, you know, they always like, I don't want to be looked at. It, I wonder if there's a, there's a parallel there between the look Society people give you like they're about to eat you and Narby's experience of, I know what you are. Ooh. I may not know exactly what you are, but I know what you are. That's, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the, uh, the part where they talk about, you know, the horror of being looked at. And I mean, in a, in a medical sense like this, in just like the small amount of experience I've had with that kind of stuff, it's just, yeah. it is, it's somewhat dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, having your like own body try to kill you is a frustrating thing and you know i, I well and how about slipping through the cracks during covid with these delayed surgeries right oh, they, they so should horrible. obviously have qualified for an exception and they and they didn't and oh. and it's and, and so many people must be like narby in the sense of not imagine. being able to get what you need medical wise yeah i mean the the stuff that i dealt with was like pre like right before covid is when you know kind of finally started normalizing some stuff but i cannot yeah. imagine there's no way in hell i would have been able to see any of the people that i did at that time period like there's just not a chance and no. uh i 
did not have to deal with anything remotely on the level that Narby did. I, it yeah. just... Woof! So, Narby, I'm sorry, I was doing... We were doing summary, and then we just jumped in, because it's, it's kind of an essay that clings you to it, right? Oh, but it, it, so it's... It, um, it's about just having gallstones, which in normal times would result in a, in a gallbladder surgery. But because it's COVID, they're not getting removed, and so then there's this problematization of having a body as well as having, society tells you, to have a gender. And... Then we get into a little philosophy, but this is where I think Narby and Nietzsche have a couple stylistic things in common. And even though obviously their voices are completely different and less problematic oh, than Narby, I, of I course. I'm so glad you brought this up. I was like, man, yeah. I'm, how, do, if we, how do we end up doing these back to back? Because I'm pretty sure you're going to nail on the theme I'm already thinking here. The, the, uh, the one thing I would say is the instead of the slightly more analytic tone that we got from the uh, Haraway, right? This is an academic publication, and obviously Haraway has she has a great voice, oh. but in in this the Nietzsche and I'm gonna even bring in Mark Fisher, we're dealing with philosophy when it happens as a personal experience, right? Like these are not three like. First, I will argue this. Second, I will argue this. You know, or I'm going to lay out what I'm going to do. These are three deeply personal experiences that ultimately result in theory. I think that are that make the, that make a, obviously the essay deeply appropriate for the show. Oh, I, I, I'm this one. I think of all of them, just really the the framing, the way in and out is mm -hmm. very personal. And I, I don't know, I was a big fan of, like, this writing style because I think the analytic side of philosophy for a lot of people is a turnoff in the introduction. Like, a lot of people just kind of, it's, uh, roll your eyes, get on with my life kind of a thing. But right. if you're in a position where your body is in such pain and the gaze of all these medical professionals mm -hmm. brings on, like, this profound... I am goo. I am a collection of goo. We are. I am nothing but goo. <laughs> not Hercules. We are worms. We are nothing <laughs> but worthless worms. Well, yeah, and I, I agree. And I also think that, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways one can come to thinking. And, and, and one of the ways, of course, is I want to solve an, a problem in epistemology or aesthetics or whatever it is. And, and then the second one is uh, the problem has been thrust upon me without any willpower <laughs> or agency on the part of the thinker, and then you're thinking in an emergency, yeah, right? So, so, you know, what got you into philosophy? Uh, I mean, if I could sum it up just kind of, uh, ah! Ah! This <laughs> yeah. general sense of, ah! Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I think Narby does it fantastically. And, and oh. also, but that being said, I think also... Narby might be, and I have to couch this with an incredible amount of um, caveats because we are talking, I'm talking in a very specific way. The model of like a, in psychoanalysis, the, in Lacanian psychoanalysis, the, the pervert, like whatever you are, that's what I absolutely am not. And there's this sort of resistance on all levels, even formally, right? Like, the footnotes that they present are so great. Not just the informality, but the, look, I have a thought about the other. 
I know that the other is this loaded word that French intellectuals that, of course, we'll be reading, deal with for the whole of the 20th century. And yet, I'm going to say, look, I kind of skimmed them, but I still want to make this point. If it lines up, it lines up. If it doesn't, this is my point. Here we go. And I, I thought that honesty was just uh, fresh in a certain sense. Oh, and I, uh, I'm always a big fan of um, anything that you know. It's it's often an experience. You know, I've had more with like fantasy when it comes to reading. Yeah. But this like envelopment. Mm in in what you're getting into like the just you're hanging on every word and and this essay was just ah uh, just pulls you right in yeah right? and uh the, the footnote yeah it pulls you right you're in. like bummed at the end even though you get these lovely footnotes at the end that are just like excellent bonus content that you get to go back and revisit stuff it was so oh, good oh yeah and it was it was uh Anna and I often Anna is my partner and, and Anna and I always talk about the way we want art to be is the most experimental and the most enjoyable mm. and I think that this really is a great example of that really right? like, so the footnote that I, I just want to read it really quick I think that it might be impossible to describe represent or even perceive absolute otherness and that the other capital O by definition always holds a dim or fragmented mirror to the self but don't quote me on that or anything. I only skimmed the laconic area that I was assigned to read in grad school. <laughs> and I think, but that does that offer a critique of laconic area in a really like subtle way? Not subtle, maybe not subtle, but in a way where it's saying like, look, if you if you want to communicate to people, I'm not going to read. I mean, I'm saying that as a person who's literally trying to read the entire seminar of Lacan, but like, I don't think that we should expect even academically as a PhD conferred person, mm. I don't want to live in a world where we expect people to read the complete works of Lacan in order to understand what one <laughs> word means. <laughs> and I think that offers a critique there because you have a lot of people saying, no, 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 that's not what they meant. Well, no, 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 that's not what they meant. And what you really should be saying is what I believe. What oh. I believe about the other is this. And, and, and Narby does that and also offers... It's not quite shade. It's not shade at Derrida and Lacan, actually. It's shade at sort of like the idea that, oh, well, how could you, you young new writer, ever have anything to say about these canonical great philosophers until you, you've read the whole thing? You only read one seminar? What do you know, pish posh? I didn't understand it until I read it in French the third time. <laughs> I... I I think that was one of the things that was, like, super refreshing about mm -hmm. this, is I still found it to be, like, immensely profound, but it wasn't as much work as so much of the other stuff. Like, Of course. I just, when, like, I, I really enjoy Lacan, but one word that is often tied to that is, like, well, work. Work. It's, it's, and also, it's some work. And also, occasionally, he's just a guy. Like, there's also this idea of, or not. And and then you did, like, these 300 pages of reading just to be like, oh, well, you know, Levinas has a completely different view. And you're like, well, now i got to read Levinas? And, like, and like I also don't want to say that I'm 
I am not belittling the academics who are really delving into a thinker to critique them and say what's valuable. That's oh, not no, what I we're, absolutely we're kind of critiquing think... sort of like the new, the new doctoral student who maybe has done a first round and is like, well, you know, I really did something with my life. And I have the knowledge <laughs> now. I have the knowledge I now, am yeah. the power, and now I keep the gate. I keep the Exactly. <laughs> I think that's such an important flip side is that it's almost like when you have knowledge at the academy, there's sort of this feel that in the good way, you're safe keeping that knowledge, which I think is fine. But in the in the bad sense, if you can't communicate to people outside of the academy what someone's really main ideas are about, it's it's a problem. And I don't even think it's a problem that I would... Uh, I don't think it's a problem of reading Lacan. I mean, I think it's a problem of his accree. I think that's, as I said, <laughs> terrorism. <laughs> but like... Uh, or Derrida. You know, these are just two thinkers who are on their own tracks and they are adventuring in their own lanes and they have incredible amounts to say and it's all valuable. And yet... The lesson from it should be to me that we can also be our own thinkers, not that we're like kind of yes. attached to yes. these people, right? Like, yes, I'm not attached to someone. Be the ironist. Yeah, like, I, I like the yeah. idea of borrowing the things that work for you. I just this avoidance of like the true path is absurd. Yeah, and I also think that Narby solves that very instantly by focusing thinking on the experience of gender and embodiment or a new word that we should maybe coin for this essay emblobment emblobment <laughs> oh so i would say that the argument there is actually a solid argument in this essay it comes at the end and it is that the the blob is the most abject and they go into kristeva what's great is we're going to read kristeva right mm. we're going to read powers of horror which is cited in this essay in like under a month but in that essay Kristeva's examples the two biggest examples of the abject experience are and I might be quoting these out of order drinking spoiled milk it's a part of you it makes you aware of its presence internally in you as you want to get it out of you and yet it's also stuck within a part of you and the other one is viewing a human corpse Oh yeah, Kristeva's good. <laughs> Kristeva and Narby are very much, uh, for me, blood brothers, <laughs> in a great sense. So viewing a human corpse in yeah. what context, or just in any context? I don't remember, but it's a, it's not alive, and yet it is the vital body of what you've known your whole life to be a thing that's alive. Ooh. And the blob is teeming with life, and viscosity but it's it's not it's it's almost it's not human minus it's almost human plus 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 like you mm. you have a nose so then you have three noses five eyes eight earlobes and eventually you become this flesh sack right yeah that's a really weird thought but we're uh. gonna get weirder when we get to Christeva. but yeah. that seems like the blob is it's almost inhuman by addition instead of subtraction almost and that's the end of society is is not absence of humanity i mean it is sort of but but the exuberant 
what, what would you say? The, the final scene of uh, Society, by the way, is a whole bunch of bodies sort of sucking on each other, enveloped in um, mutated, mucusy ways, so there's a whole field of uh, it's, organism, basically. It's like, how, how can we make an orgy the least attractive thing you've ever seen in your life? I, I mean, for mo- for a lot of people, going to any orgy probably has this experience of abjection. I, I think right? that, I mean, I don't know. To each their own. Yeah. But to me, everything about a normal orgy kind of seems horrible. And maybe a little, maybe an orgy itself is already a little abject. Ooh, that's a good point. It's like a union becomes a parade. It's <laughs> horrifying. I mean, I don't know. A side note, though. What happens, like, when you finish first? Do you go home, or do you, like, hit the buffet? Do, I don't know. I mean, do, what, would you be the caterer at an orgy? I don't know. The band? What do you play? Smooth? Kenny G. I, I mean... The, well, the Blue Danube, like in uh, the, the Strauss Waltz, like they the, play in uh, I Society? Mean, I think it would be horrifying to watch, but if how much would you need to be paid to play in a trio at an orgy? Minimum wage. I'm a musician. <laughs> Going back. Uh, can we get in on the buffet? Mm, no, <laughs> but you can. You just won't want to. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, but I don't think you're gonna want any. Yeah, any you're not gonna want any food. You're you're not gonna. It's it's all gonna be, to quote the Kristeva. Spoiled milk in a certain sense, right? So, um, one more example of a footnote that I thought was fucking great. And the royal academic, or the academic we comes in here, but it's used in a very particular way. Um, I don't know what could be more queer than being narratively positioned as a threat to family values, particularly to children. Footnote, we stand a pink menace. And it brings in sort of our, our millennial or Gen X, like, like, speak, but but we stand, we, and you could almost, it, it seems like a very subtle callback to, like, we, while others argue blank, blank, and blank, and blank, we argue blah, 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 and such results in a standing of a pink menace or something, uh, right? Yeah, I, uh, I... I really, this is like, having seen them both was like, mm-hmm. not at all something that clicked me. Although, these are both, both the Blob movies were a long time ago. But I loved how they talked about changing the Blob from red to pink. Yeah. The 80s one. Yeah, and they how, prefer the later one. Yeah, and I mean, I kind of do too. Interesting, I mean, yeah. the, the original is an important film but I don't know there's just something really dated about Cold War movies nowadays yeah and they, they pick up on that right they say they, they bring in that Cold War mm-hmm. aspect as being sort of well the big other at the time was was communism like I mean yeah. at, the, at the time of the first blob that was the, the little other but yeah but I mean, the the second one came out mid-late 80s? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
you know, we're we're dealing with a new menace that is becoming more prevalent. The terror of homosexuality and queerness. Yeah. Uh, you have the AIDS epidemic in full swing. You have it being ignored by the powers that be. So, yeah. And you, you also, like, okay, what I love about... <laughs> Narvi's giving some critiques in here, right? Like, like they're... they're they're not saying capitalism, but isn't the framing of the handling of the COVID-19 pandemic an indictment of something? I'm not sure if it's, I would call it an indictment of capitalism, or maybe it, it more functions as an indictment of how we let people slide through, maybe? Ooh. Ooh. Like the sort of subtle but real at the personal level, real and horrifying violence that happens through through negligence, right, of the surgery, mm. but through through the through the eyes of the state, it's just a necessary loss. It kind of reminds me of like when all the Republicans were like, you know, if you're old, take one for the team, oh. right? There was this sort of like, some of you may die, but that is a sacrifice I am, I am willing, willing to make. make. Yeah. Uh. I feel like that that sort of critique haunts these pages. Oof. Very much so. I mean, especially nowadays, like this, especially like this particular identity group within, you know, the LGBTQ is, mm -hmm. you know, they're the new other that is being targeted by lots of people and it's yeah this is the third it's the it's the communist it's the gay people and then it's the trans people and and i mean i'm going to um even though obviously we're kind of mixing um labels here i'm going to put a gender into trans and and I, i'll have to look that up to see if i'm right but also just the fact that it reminds me of this uh this thing my, my buddy matt or no no this was from imager or somewhere else it wasn't people i knew um an Asian man was talking to his mom, and his mom said, should we stop speaking Mandarin? Should we start speaking Taiwanese so that we won't have racist attacks? And the kid says, oh, mom, they racists don't know the difference. And I, I do wonder if there's a little bit of that with the way people identify today. There's a sense that, like, the category of agender is um, fucking great, in my opinion, because it... I just think it takes a certain amount of like how do I put it non, not letting society dictate who you are to allow your identity to come through and I think that was pretty cool so you'll have to help expand my mind here as mm -hmm. I'm newer to a lot of this stuff it's one of the reasons I really liked this one is I had never viewed the blob in such a way and the way they frame it with it being pink in the 80s one yeah and it's like destruction of you know family those values. who shall not be destroyed yeah is like so eye-opening you know, like and and so help me you know get a little bit of a better understanding what is you know the difference between non-binary or a gender yeah so non-binary is a gender expression so non-binary is often thought of in a couple different ways either liminal 
So if you think of gender as a spectrum between two endpoints, one being the male signifier and the one being the feminine signifier, and non-binary is uh, a type of a form of trans where it's somewhere the between, in between. You know, I'm a <laughs> one of the great quotes I heard from a non-binary person was, "Yeah, like I'm non-binary and I'm AFAB, but I'm like a girly boy." <laughs> you know, like. Like I'm non-binary, but I'm like not, you know. <laughs> like I'm a liminal category. It's beautiful. I like yeah, it's so much. For agender, it's a slightly more radical positioning in a certain sense. Um, although I don't want to try and radicalize it by default. I kind of want to just accept categories as they come, um, because I, I generally, with gender expression and non-expression, am of the camp. And I think this is a very, I can back this up with arguments, but that when people come to me with a their their gender and their their pronouns, that I'm just going to accept their experience as truthful. You know, I mean, I mean, we both do. That. I, it's yeah, it's one of those that, things right? that I just like can't really get my head around. Is it's like, like I I understand the like initial having to readjust yeah. something that's been ingrained. I mean, right. We've seen this, you know. Anna was the first person I've met that, you know, identifies as they, them. And the grammar Nazi in my head could not, like, get over the, like, no, that's, that's a, that's for a group thing. And it took me a while to, like, get over that. But just making the attempt, I think, is all all they're asking like yeah. i don't think it's asking a lot it's, no and it's i also just... actually would say that agender as a category is giving you permission not to view the other at all in the categories you're about to throw upon them oh i love it <laughs> you know, so like much like gonna throw i think it's this amazing because like for example you can't trust your own perception of other people's gender god you know i mean you know, and my students are going to come with whatever gender expression that they want to. Hopefully, I want to make them feel comfortable to come with that. And what, for me, the role is, is as a teacher and mentor, just to nurture their confidence and self-acceptance and move forward. Whereas, like, I think that the struggles with... There's a power imbalance, right? Like, I see you as a certain way, therefore you're that way is the old model the newer model is i would say just a knowledge that you don't have access to the other's internal experience and in an agender sense what that does is i think i mean i'm kind of giving this like a psychoanalytic twist but like you can then have permission not to do all that stupid labor like have you ever talked to an older person and they point out this is something that bothers me so much i i i I'm around so many um, LGBT uh, people these days, it just doesn't happen anymore, but it used to happen when I was in less queer-friendly circles in undergrad, where, and it was usually an older person would point out a person and go, you know, do you, do you think that person's a man or a woman? <laughs> do, you, do you remember that? Like, people do, do I that? I don't know. It's, it's kind of an, it's so outdated and it was I'm never gonna, acceptable. Call but call people out, but, dude, I, I grew up with people doing that shit all the time like i i had younger family members mm -hmm. that used to give me shit when i grew my hair out like 
I cannot tell you how many times I've been asked, like, why are you trying to look like a girl? Like, I, I'm sorry, but the man y'all have up on your wall everywhere, his hair's about the same length, y'all. <laughs> that would be, you know, I'm here to would be, uh, would be Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, so that would be my understanding of agender, and I might be wrong. And if, if I am wrong, that's, that's um, fine, because I'm, this is the sort of thing where I will just correct. Please correct me. <laughs> exactly, I will not yeah. argue. If I am yeah. wrong, I would like to know. But what I love about the category agender as a letter to add to LGBT+, plus, as, as one of the plus categories, is that it lifts the burden of doing this weird mental labor of, of pegging someone down. Oh. Which I just I just like don't understand. I, I mean, I guess I'm from a generation where we flipped over, right? Like the flip mm. was happening while I was growing up. But now it seems so odd to me the need to know other people's internal experience of themselves in that way. Um, right? Like, I don't know. It just I, just, doesn't I, seem I love the response of like, uh, you know, the inquiry of like, well, you know, well, what do you, like, identify as? It's like, oh, no, we don't do that here. And I, I don't know, I kind of like that a lot. Because I, I think that it, rather than doing the mental labor of, like, trying to fit them into the boxes that you're comfortable with, I think it, it pushes you into a far more personal experience to, like, actually get to know a person beyond the stereotypes you're expecting so yeah if you peg them as woman or as man then you have this do you like trucks do you like barbie do you like are you a high-powered exec are you are you one of those guys that doesn't like the things guys like are you one of those i'm not like the other girl are you a tomboy yeah and and if you disregard all of that as outdated first of all you can do two things you can actually play with gender expression in the sense of like there's drag kings drag queens but there's also drag things and drag things would be much more on the side i believe of carol narby's uh possible gender world where it's it's like okay so drag things are often playing with the more monstrous sides of each signifier so maybe a gigantic boob a gigantic, sorry, a gigantic dick. Just one. Yeah. Just, gigantic, just one gigantic. I went to like a gigantic phallus, which to me would be a guitar. But you, a gigantic you did breast. the motion, yeah. but then we're like, <laughs> like a, big a gigantic boob. boob. And then like horns, like big dick, big penis, and they're also a monster. And um, what drag things often do is it, it, it turns the whole experience of gender on its head. And it becomes a play a playroom of, of, of signifiers for me. There's um oh I can't remember what it is. Uh there's a drag series my little sister really likes that the whole mm-hmm. theme is like horror stuff. So oh, it's all it, that too. It, yeah. It's all like drag based on horror things. Like they sent me one of, you know, Xenomorph from Alien that was Yeah. Mind blowing. Yeah. I don't I I'm a big fan of like the playfulness with that stuff for yeah. sure. I mean And it requires a bit of rebellion. But you know, I think we're at the phase where I mean, obviously on the right they're using trans attacks to get to their real enemy, which is all women. They don't really accept oh, trans oh, people as oh. real in a weird way. But like I love the using you know, women tactic. We're protecting women. We're not anti trans. We're just pro woman. That 
like defense. It's yeah. like Oh, so so once you you got that enemy down and then they're like, Yes, we did it, you'll be there and you're like, Yes, we did and you push them off the cliff. Yeah. Right right. After. It's like, like, yeah it's... But um I think that for this essay the it's right at the opening and I'll just want to read a paragraph of where Narby opens up about how they're seen or how they believe themselves to be seen and it's just beautiful I am somewhere in between baby and beast I suppose oh. hypothetically my condition could become life threatening um, oh no that's that's for the uh, that's for the, the bile duck the, the, the flip side is I am not something in between or in some third gender category like non-binary. My gender identity does not have a name because I do not have a gender identity. My gender is void. The null oh. set, nothing. But it is impossible for anyone to look at me and see nothing. I cannot make myself unseen. The nature of society is that we necessarily observe each other through certain prescribed lenses. Mm. Gender is one such lens. It's so good. Yeah. And I think it actually is like, yeah, it's great. Yeah. I one of the things I loved about this is I got to experience a bit of that like mirror on my mm -hmm. on myself without having to go to a hospital with indescribable pain. So props to Narby for mm -hmm. fucking killing it on the writing that can, you know, give you like the experience of like self-reflection through being like man that is shitty it makes me feel terrible like kind of holding up that mirror to yourself through this really enthralling experience reading this mm -hmm. was like shit beyond just gender like what other lenses am I placing on myself in regards to how I want people to see me and and all that kind of stuff and oh, how yeah. much is that getting in the way of me just living your life experience yes yeah. just living yeah uh, that's a great point all right so one other thing i loved in the world of uh narby so i'm gonna and again when we're gonna reach out to them and send them an, a message and be like hey we posted this we would love your feedback and criticisms and stuff and we'll even address them at a later podcast oh, but that'd be awesome. because you know it's not every day a lot of the readers the were blob doing redux the blob redux yeah or even bring them on if they're around but um one thing i really think they're on the side of is uh theory but there this is sort of the like parallel with the agender side of like i'm agender but no one's going to see me this way and then the theory side, they say, they're, they're referencing Kristeva and obviously name drop Lacan and Derrida, but I do get the sense with a little nudge, nudge, wink, wink, that they're much more well-read than I am. Oh, I have <laughs> zero doubt about that. Like, there's a little bit of, like, um, not feigning ignorance. Obviously not. I mean, I thought it was, it was, it was I mean, I'm taking them at their word, but I, I did get that sense of, like, I get the, no, I know this. I know? get the feeling they have gone well past. I am the gatekeeper of knowledge here into the... No, I kind of get it, and I mm -hmm. am not going to hold it over you for not understanding that yet, which is so goddamn refreshing. So here's a, here's a weird thought experiment for you. 
So, you know, the idea of uh, lying with honesty is what we'll read in another thing, a very Zizekian concept. But uh, Zizek posits that humans are the only animals that can lie with honesty because it's like, well, why were you going to Nantucket when you were actually going to Nantucket? I thought since you were saying you were going to Nantucket, you were going to Florida to Key West, but you were actually going to Nantucket? I would have wanted to go to Florida Keys or whatever. You know, it's a lying with honesty thing. And I think that just hypothetically, what if Narby's next book was a was published on like Rutledge or some university press and it was just a deep reading of Lacan Seminar 12 that hasn't been translated or or Derrida's uh, of grammatology problems <laughs> with semiotic readings and I wonder if it would still be telling the truth the essay right because even if it's feigning a certain amount of less knowledge than maybe one has it's a sort of like white lie if it's like that, that 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 really still functions to get you on their side i mean is it still authentic if i am making an effort to be as inauthentic as possible yeah right <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> i would say possibly actually so for in this essay i think it doesn't matter on the ground what this person has actually read or not read what matters is the positioning of the canon Ooh. right because like okay they reference freud and they say they reference sort of like in a lovely but we need not be so freudian i think yeah, is the yeah. line i really like but we need not be so freudian and because the, uh they're referencing similar to zizek's idea of the maternal superego sort of this like chaos before the father the paternal arrives <laughs> And what I love about their positioning is they're not saying that's not there. Like, if you're a Freudian, you, can, you could do that. And they're saying, sure, go for it. But in a sense, what I get there is a love of theory. Hmm. Like, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> I'm going to say yes and. Or yes, but maybe this. Mm. Um, where is it? The Do you have the... See, I think that was when they were talking about society, if I remember. Now, the reason I bring this up is because Kristeva and Lacan, and to a much less degree, of course, uh, Derrida, uh, Derrida engages with Freud his whole life, but um, Kristeva, in a lot of ways, is a, tra not traditional, is a psychoanalytic theorist mm. with deep roots in Freudian theory. And so it's almost like Narby's endorsing the good side of Freud, right? Because, like, on the one hand, you have this Freud of, like, the Oedipus complex or the Electra complex or these weird sort of dated views on sexuality. And then the flip side, you have a much more radical Freud that will kind of always be relevant, right? Like a Freud mm. as philosopher. And so I think that Kristeva gets closer to that reading of Freud, which is like, no, this is, this is the side that is going to be always active. You know, the abject is not, I don't think, a cultural category. I think the objects that occupy whatever is abject are to a degree cultural. But I don't think that, I think that the 
the notion of what is abject, which to a certain degree does come from Freud, is, I'm assuming, universal. Mm. <laughs> I'm assuming that's a category that is applicable in any culture at any point. It's just going to be a different object, right? Yeah. It's probably so not going to be corpses for every culture, although that seems... Actually, no. For the culture described in the movie Society, it wouldn't be corpses. <laughs> for us as viewers, it would well, be. I don't for know. the monsters, it wouldn't be. The, the, I, I feel like there is a very seeing a corpse moment for the society people. After he oh, turns him yes. inside out, they let him leave because they're all like, Ermagerd! Because when yes. you're like watching this shit, you're, I even asked when you were watching, I was like, What's a gun gonna do to a blob, though? Yes. I mean, he literally eats the dude's beauty mark, and then after he emerges from the oneness of the blob, has, you know, the beauty the mark. The leftover beauty mark. So, you know, what? what's a bullet gonna do when they're yes. in goo mode? But when he, like, turns... So you the, know, the, the main character, what he does is he, he puts his hand onto the genitals of the monster person and, and pulls the genitals through his mouth. The penis comes through his mouth as well as his eyeballs, and this flips him inside out. And he, he becomes, grabs him from the face. Yeah. So he like his thumb comes up through his mouth and the fingers through his eyeballs. Yeah. And he pulls him inside out, and all the other blob creatures in the society are like shocked that he would like killed one of them. Yeah. Because they seem a little. Invincible, In, yeah. yeah. Like they, they see. Yeah, we've always been here. We've been here as long as you. Mm -hmm. Fucking great line. Family, yeah, right. Great line. And family goes back to Julius Caesar, which I loved. Uh, and I love the idea because wouldn't it be great if Julius Caesar was the first? He was the new the creature. Blob. Yeah. Oh my god. And I think there's also a sense in which there's a great movie called They Look Like People, which goes into sort of um, schizophrenia. And there's not a lot of monster horror, but there's just a scene where the Glasgow smile on someone appears as they turn away. Oof. And I think there's that's sometimes aspect in society, right? Because there's there's not a lot of CGI. It's all done through makeup, I, I think, right? Like, it's all makeup. I mean, the good ones. But in society, it's all makeup. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you have people that are people people. And there's sort of this uncanniness of when they first change the tongue of the one guy coming out. Mm. I mean, the... Glasgow smiles a real thing. Have you ever seen someone else? Yeah, one? yeah. Yeah, they're wild. I just, I can't imagine. What does that feel like? I don't know. I mean, it shows up in a lot of movies. Pan's Labyrinth, um, obviously the Joker and the Dark Knight type movies have that. But Society had one? Society had one, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you could you could do it if you wanted. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it, though. I, I think that's something people do to you. I, oh, I don't think do oh that I, I missed that yeah. distinction. <laughs> well, I really liked the essay. I also felt like... Um, I don't know. I, I, I have this feeling that every, I'm going to follow Narby's website and everything that they publish, I feel like we should just do on the oh, show. Yes. I mean, I, I really, I will never, I will never watch any, like, blob-related horror again. Like, The Thing yeah. is now going to be a whole new experience. A movie I've watched a million times, loved to death. Yeah. And now that end scene 
is going to have a whole new framing to it that I really, really <laughs> like that I I get to dive into now because of this. Could we could we uh, do one quick contrast to see where we fall in our beliefs about the blob? Mm. So for this is not psychoanalysis versus phenomenology versus structuralism. This is two options firmly both within psychoanalysis. So on the one hand, we have the abject, you know, spilt milk, corpse, the blob, as the most abject. On the right-hand side, and I don't know if these concepts have been brought together. I'm sure we could find an essay that we may do. Lacan's lamella. Ooh. Right, so the lamella is... I forget how Zizek described it. He, there's a great chapter for those listening on uh, the lamella from Zizek's How to Read Lacan. But the lamella, as Lacan describes it in sort of in, in uh, Seminar 11, is sort of the objectified essence of desire without humanism. That's actually my, sorry, that's, that's my interpretation. I, I, like, right? I like the way of putting it. It ties in really well with the like alien metaphor that Zizek makes. That is yeah, so the face huggers. The spawn, right? yeah. So for Zizek, the lamella is most embodied by the the face huggers because remember they're they're deeply sexual and deeply inhuman. Mm. And so the question is: Is society an example of lamella run wild, or is it an example of abjection? And are those concepts just so slippery that they sort of just overlap so neatly that it's not that different? Oh. I, I think that's really tricky. Yeah. Because the problem is, is that Alien is not human and really fits that lamella category of like just pure libido. Mm -hmm. Whereas in society, they're, they're, they're people in a sense. And they're, they're actors and actresses. On top of that, they're, they're people that others aspire to be a part of often. Yeah. And when they get that opportunity, they are consumed by said people. Are these so? Are these just two great fucking words from theory that everyone should know when we describe horror movies, right? Like, are these just perfect? For oh, they just of stuff, made horror right? movies so much like better. I, I, and it's it's something I've talked about with you before. With like, yeah, I I like a nice bouquet of horror movies. I love my B movies. Yeah. I like ones that are bad that don't mean to be bad, but they're just really shitty. Oh yeah, they're fun. But there is a certain class of horror movie that, like, before even getting into, you know, any psychoanalysis, any stuff like this, yeah, um, you know, before I could describe any of it, the ones that the monster is about more than the monster, yeah, and when it's done in a good way, it's just, you can't beat that kind of stuff. Like it is just it's it's in its own category. I mean, everything Ari Aster does. Yeah, Ari uh, Aster's great at that. Oh, you know, the domesticity of hereditary. Oh, so good. So, the final thing I wanted to mention. Obviously, uh, I want to leave room for you to bring up any other parts of the essay you want to bring up as well. But um, I, so the the experience of watching the scenes of society 
Narby says are indescribable. And they describe them, but they sort of say, like, look, you, can, you can't know. And then they even say, like, even watching it, you, you're not going to know and have the words after watching it. I felt that to be totally true in society. I My example of my other film where I felt that, that gave the movie a, a sheen, a sort of allure of positivity in its quality, or at least something alluring, was Ichi the Killer. Mm. Ichi the Killer has this sort of if overhuman uh, phantasmatic quality that comes from, of course, that it was a manga, right? Like, and it ha- it brings in that, and it's if it, it's not just pure horror show, that would be descri- horror show is describable. And then the scene melted and everything went crazy. It's like I can't describe Ichi the Killer to people listening. You have to just go listen, right? Like, if you ever tried to like sell someone on that movie mm-hmm. telling them about anything it would be like no I'm, I'm not gonna watch that I'm movie. not gonna watch I, that movie God's name would I watch that fucking movie um which when you recommended it to me it was like oh no it's great and you told me nothing about it and so it was I mean I'm I'll watch just about fucking anything. Especially horror movies. I think there is, like, one horror movie in my life I've ever been like, I am not gonna finish this. I'm saving the last hour of my life from being wasted on this. For the most part, I ride it out to the end. want to see where it goes. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I'm always open to that stuff. But I loved Ichi the Killer. And it was another one that was before all of this stuff so it was one of those movies that i could not describe to someone why i enjoyed it no it's hard but it has a magical magic is deeply the wrong word but you know (laughs) (laughs) it has a magic to it It has a poetics what did you have any films for you that fit that quality of of being indescribable in the in the horror genre or or not in the horror genre in a little bit more of a comical, yet very relatable way, Ari's new one, Bo is Afraid, I know it's gotten mixed reviews, but I absolutely loved that movie. Loved it. Mm-hmm. And there is a certain, there's a particular scene in it that is so, I mean, I can describe it, but you will not experience what that scene is and yeah. how it's done that like how like revolting yet hilarious it is at the same time and it's framed in like this horror super spooky I love the way he like plays with horror movie motifs as well in this one there are so many things that like it's played to be spooky and it it made like I felt like a little bit crazy because we're sitting in this theater with a bunch of people and it's me and my group of friends just like dying laughing at this stuff yeah and there's just kind of a sense of what the fuck in the rest of the theater like it's kind of quiet and when I talked to my little sister when she saw it she's like I thought I was crazy because I'm laughing and everybody else is looking at me like I'm crazy. So I like had to go online and find out if it was supposed to be funny or not. Yeah. And I, I to me, like it just, it is so over the top Yeah. with these like very real fears and anxieties. I think a lot of people have, especially nowadays. And they just, 
exacerbate them to a point that is indescribable. It's indescribable. It is an indescribable movie, and I cannot recommend it enough. Yeah. I mean, I it's another one of his super long ones. I still I have the feeling he's slowly just going to be like, how long can I keep you in a theater for? I'm just going to keep tacking on a half hour at a time till you're here all fucking day. Sounds great. But like it, just like Midsummer, people were like, I don't know, it was a little long. I was like, that movie blew by for me. That was a great movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. Well, also, okay. So like, I do have the sense that like. There's there's not a universal viewer of horror. You know, most people are going to go see a movie because it's just a movie that's out. Whereas the I three of us... I think that's what makes shitty horror movies is the idea that there's a universal horror movie viewer. Yeah. That's whereas, where you like, get all your shit sequels that are the same cliches that every horror movie's done before. And you're like, no, those were good because they pioneered it. It, it, you know, there's, uh, there's yeah. still just like I, it's why the genre I don't think gets as much respect in film as it deserves is it's kind of a numbers game. There's there's so much trash. Oh, there is, and I. So my final thought from Caro Narby's description of the indescribable is that you can't describe the indescribable, but you can hook it up into other people's sense of what that is and they do a really beautiful job of like cueing you into that specific type Mm. and i remember when i was late late high school i was 16 to 18 years old i think i hunted for that feeling and it led me to like the worst movies oh i mean i would say a serbian film Cannibal Holocaust. Cannibal Holocaust. uh, Human Centipede. 120 Days of Sodom. Man, you I th- those are two of the ones that I, I, at this point I feel like maybe I'm lucky to have not gone into because Cannibal Holocaust was one of those movies I got to the mm-hmm. end of and I was like, well I did it. I don't know how I feel about having done it because I like I would never like like I have zero, zero desire to ever rewatch that. No, and I would do wonder if like where we're we're bringing ethics and aesthetics in here is is like obviously ethics for Cannibal Holocaust because there's the murder of actual animals and torture mm. of them yeah. and that's just completely ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and that's not really related to these feelings because if you if you think about it, ethics gives you a buffer to the mm. experience that Narby's talking about. You can't describe the indescribable in my opinion when it's an unethical act because it's left aesthetics cannibal holocaust those scenes of animal torture are not aesthetic experiences and they're not they're not the good quality and in a serbian film it's the same way or in um like well yeah like a lot of these films i mean that's kind of how i feel about like even though you know it's not like cannibal holocaust where they literally like killed animals on film um i just i'm not a fan of like gruesome animal deaths and pet deaths in movies period like i think it is such a dated cheap gimmick to be like i can't write anything that'll make you feel something on a deep level so i need to hit you with something that'll just make you uncomfortable. I think it a is feeling just the, machine. It is the laziest yeah. fucking horror writing ever. And yeah. especially nowadays, 
when I see it in movies, I'm just like, you, you lost me. Like you, it's, yeah. it is the worst, like one of the absolute worst ever that I'm like, you know, this could have been a better movie. It would have been a little bit more fun, but that one scene that I'm like, all right, get it over with. This is stupid. The collector with the cat scene where like the cat doesn't just get chopped in half it gets dissolved by acid and like pulled apart and it's this five minute overly long scene that i was like you lost me i don't give a fuck about the rest of this movie yeah you're writing shit like like I, i just i think it is cheap bullshit it's like the dumb jump scares that you see coming a mile away now yeah it's every time you see an animal appear in a horror movie the first thing i do is pause it does the dog die.com i'm gonna i'm gonna look it up i'm gonna find that exact time print because it's irrelevant to anything else that goes on in the story and it's cheap bullshit fair enough sorry for the uh the side split there but oh you know i think you're right i think it's just lazy writing well i think it's also good to end our discussion of the narby essay with a general discussion of horror we're going to return to this because y'all know that sometime in the next year we're going to read freud's uncanny and we're also definitely going to be reading hp lovecraft's essay on horror because if anyone hasn't caught the drift preston and i we're horror dudes we like horror there's just something to it all right well until next time until next time and again um thank you all for listening and join us next time for a a true and severe break from theme <laughs> we're going to be reading foucault's essay on magritte this is not a pipe this fun. is not a pipe this is not a pipe this is not a pipe <laughs> so uh, uh, we'll see you next week then, but right? also please read it came from the closet yeah, I it cannot came from the recommend closet. this one enough. This, yeah, uh, and every essay is great. Um, we're going to read more from this essay collection as well. Probably in between whenever we get really tired of Deleuze yeah. in the following <laughs> months. <laughs> Alrighty, thank you everybody. <laughs>